Welcome to this week's episode of Jujiteros Coast to Coast, the podcast that talks about what's important on and off the mats. I know I started the interview this way, but it was a huge honor to interview BJJ Brownbelt and host of the BJJ Fanatics podcast, Mr. Ryan Ford, for this week's episode. Ryan was super generous enough to share some of his time and gave us some on-point answers to his my questions, but also dropped some solid game-changing advice for all Jujiteros of any level. Trust me on that. So tell your boss, kick rocks for the next 40 minutes while you listen to this bucket list interview for me. So uh, enjoy, Jujiteros. This is The Motivation. Yeah, so if you don't if you don't mind, you just want to let's just go ahead and jump right into this bad boy. Yeah, let's do it, man. Yeah, all right. So it's a huge honor for me to welcome BJJ Brown Belt and host of the most popular BJJ podcast on the planet, Mr. Ryan Ford. Ryan, welcome to the Jujitero neighborhood, brother. How you doing today? I'm great, Frank. I appreciate the invite, my friend. Thank you so much. Hey, not a problem, Ryan. I got a handful of questions here for you. Uh, I asked some of our listeners to chip in with some questions as well. So it's a little bit of me and a little bit of our listeners out there. So uh, let's jump into the first question here. First question, we always ask everybody that comes on here, staple interview question. Do you have a favorite martial arts movie or action movie that you watched growing up that kind of motivated you to try martial arts, maybe like Karate Kid or a blood spore vision quest anything along those lines yeah man so actually the 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 i always credit my introduction to martial arts uh for the to the ninja turtles so the ninja turtles is Yo. what got me yeah that's i i actually saw the cartoon on tv first before i saw the movie uh and then i saw the first movie that came out and then they did secret of the use which was the second one i think and uh and then it was just all downhill from there so what ended up happening was my when i was i think like three or four years old at the time and i was watching ninja turtles just jumping off the couch and kicking stuff off the shelf and all that my my parents were like Dude, we, we got to get him into some kind of program or something so he's not destroying our stuff and so they, <laughs> so, so they took me to a uh, um like a ymca uh kids karate class and I did that for a little bit, and uh, I was a little too rambunctious. Uh, I have severe ADD, and it started becoming pretty obvious at about that age. And so uh, so I, I, I trained there for a little bit, but then just sort of stopped going, but always maintained my love for martial arts for the rest of my life. But I always credit the Ninja Turtles. Uh, and then later on, it kind of progressed into like professional wrestling. Uh, I'm a kid of the nineties. So like late eighties, early nineties, professional wrestling was a big staple in my life. Uh, and then of course like mortal Kombat and street fighter and the video games. So it, there was always, there was always martial arts present in some way, shape or form with everything I was into, uh, growing up. All right, right on, right on. So how did, what led you to jujitsu and how did you, do you have any like crazy beginner stories that haunt your dreams. You know, I always tell a story about when I first started training, there was a guy my size, but he looked like Ed Shireen and he would destroy <laughs> me every day. Every day he would just put it to me. And I always remember that. Do you have any crazy stories like that? 
I and do. It, yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And to, to answer your first question, how I, how I started jujitsu. So I, as a kid, I eventually came back when I got, when I was a little older, I was about eight or I was about seven or eight years old. I got into Taekwondo and did that for many years. Uh, and I remember it was, it was around the time I was about nine years old. Um, my, there was the karate, the Taekwondo dojo that I used to go to was next door, shared a wall with a video rental store. Uh, it was called, uh, it was, it was like a blockbuster kind of, kind of, kind of store, but it was like a private franchise. It, was, it wasn't a franchise. It was like a privately owned thing. And, uh, and so we were in there every Friday night after class, my dad and I used to go and rent a movie or, or whatever to take home for the weekend. And one day my dad was looking at the wall and he was kind of like, Hey, right. Look at this, you know? And so I came over to look and, uh, and it was the first UFC. It was, it was the first yes. UFC VHS tape. Yeah. He says, he, I said, I said, is this like pro wrestling? He says, man, I don't think this is like pro wrestling. I see. I think, and he was trying to be like delicate to not tell me wrestling was fake, but he was like, I think these guys, he says, I think these guys are actually fighting in a cage. Like, you know? And so I was like, Oh wow. He's, so, so we went to go rent it and check it out. And the guy at the, uh, at the, at the desk almost ruined the whole thing. Cause he was like, Oh, okay. He was like, he was like, man, he kind of looked at me and saw that I was a kid. And he looked at my dad. He's like, you know, this is, this is pretty violent, you know? And my dad was like, Oh, is it pretty bad? He goes, yeah, it's pretty bloody and stuff. So my dad was like, ah, okay, maybe we should put it back. So then I had to go into like full salesman mode. I'm like, no, no, but I have a, I have a VHS where Bret Hart fought Roddy Piper and like, man, they were bloody and it was, (laughs) it's the same amount of blood. It's the same thing. It's, you know, so my dad was kind of like, he kind of molded over and he looks, just looks at me and goes, all right, don't say anything to your mom. So I was like, <laughs> so we were, so we were all kind of laughing. So, so we went home and watched it and, uh, saw Hoist Gracie do his thing. And I remember being, even at a young age, pretty mesmerized by what Hoist was doing because, you know, you see like Ken Shamrock who looked like a, a live action, you know, GI Joe figure. And you look at, um, it's just like some of the other guys that were in the first UFCs, they looked a lot more bigger and more intimidating than Hoist did. And I always joked that Hoist, there was, at our local post office where we were living, there was a Dominican guy uh, that worked there that was always like the guy that helped us when we went to the post office, really nice guy. And he looked just like Hoist Gracie. And <laughs> So and so I always I always say that because because it's like man you know Hoist just looked like such an average run of the mill person you'd see out on the street like he just looked kind of like your everyday guy yeah like if, you know if he, if he said that he was like a piano instructor I would have believed him so so he he didn't look like some big scary crazy you know tattooed up muscled out fighter and so to watch him as a skinny little kid back in the day go out there and just kick everybody's ass I was like dude that's that's amazing so. Yeah. So ever since then, that really planted the seed about jujitsu. But this was around 1994 at the time. So man, I just there was no jujitsu uh, in Atlanta where I lived. Uh, it, there wouldn't be any jujitsu in Atlanta for many more years after that until um, until Jacare Calvacanchi uh, was I think was the first black belt that showed up in Atlanta. He's the founder of Alliance Jiu Jitsu. Wow, that's a um, good one. It is, yeah, and I eventually ended up ended up as a student of his for a while. Um, but it wasn't for many, many years that I that I could even find jujitsu. Um, so then, by the time I was actually twenty one, uh, I I've, I found a jujitsu school uh, that was real close to where we lived, and I signed up, and uh, and then it was all history from there. Um, as far as uh, to answer your second question, as far as uh, like crazy memories from my early days, my first role ever, I actually have two good stories. Um, my first role ever was with an older guy. Uh, he was, I want to say in his late fifties, coming up on 60 and, uh, and they put me with him and, uh, and it was a really funny story because he, he kind of limps over to me on the mat and he kind of sits down, kind of doing the old guy thing where you kind of sit down, you're like, ah, you're kind of like making all these moans and groans as you sit down and as you fold your knees. 
And so he goes, all right, young buck. He says, I'm an old man, so now you take it easy on me. And so I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah yes, sir. You know, so I'm thinking in my head, okay, I'm just going to go real light because this guy's, you know, clearly older and he just told me to take it easy because he's older. So we shake hands and off the handshake, he arm drags me and takes my back. And then he, ch- and then he chokes me and I'm tapping kind of frantically and I'm just hearing him kind of laughing in my ear like, ha it turns out this dude was his name's Frank Cutler, super good guy. I really ended up liking him a lot over time. Uh, he's a former Navy SEAL, uh, like oh, just geez. certified badass. And yeah, and so he played it up just to kind of mess, just to kind of troll me on my first role, and uh, which made me really like him after that. He's he's, he's really a character. Uh, but that was my first role that I always have to look back funny because I was, you know, going into the thing trying to be as humble as possible, and I totally got uh, totally got hustled. Uh, <laughs> And then uh, the other big role that that not this one doesn't ha- I mean neither of these really haunt me but they but they 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 remain at the forefront of my memory. Um, the second one is was a girl that I rolled with. Uh, her name was Mary Ellen Kano, and she actually uh, passed away. She was she was actually unfortunately killed in a uh, domestic oh. a domestic violence situation. So, but anyways, yeah, she was she was an, a tremendous fighter and uh, an athlete. She was only about 130 pounds, oh. but she was a, but she was a purple belt and. I was about when I first started jujitsu. I was probably around like two fifteen, two twenty, uh, not of not of muscle. I was just kind of kind of <laughs> chunky, and uh, and so. But I had a, a pretty significant weight advantage on her, and um, and I remember her just tapping me like a drum. I mean, she would she was Whoa. she was she it was like trying to grab a little squirrel. Like she's just so damn fast, and like she'd juke my motions. Any anywhere I tried to go, she'd she'd be switching positions and cutting angles and getting to my back and passing my guard and. And I mean, she really beat my ass and, and, and tapped, tapped me a few times. And I later found out that rolling with her when you're new is what they called the Mary Ellen test. And that was that, that was if you were cool enough to come back, if your ego was healthy enough to come back after getting schooled by a 130 pound woman, uh, then you were cool when you were kind of considered part of the fold. Uh, and a, yeah. And a lot of guys wouldn't come back. A lot of guys would feel some kind of way about it. When I was done rolling with her, all I could help to think was, dude, this is the most badass thing I've ever seen in my life. I've never seen any, I've never been in any situation where a 130 pound female destroys me like that. Yeah. Um, and I realized that, man, it really doesn't matter if you're big or if, if you're big or if you're stronger or whatever technique is everything. And that, and, and so that was kind of the, that was a very, very important lesson that I'm grateful I got very early on. Like within my first couple of weeks of jujitsu, I got that lesson and, uh, and it never has left. So those are the two, the two big things that stay at the forefront of my memory. Right on, man. That's awesome. So, I mean, after going to class a couple of times, I mean, I don't see why you would not want to go back that's just evidence right there on why jujitsu technique you know overcomes all that's fantastic right exactly such a cool story man thank Uh, you man yeah and speaking of early jujitsu what's some early bjj advice you were given that you kind of that still resonates with you to this day even though you're a brown belt Oh yeah, good question, man. Um, I, I think probably the just the importance of uh, learning to be very relaxed in bad positions. Um, I, I think that's one of the, one of the most uh, one of the hardest things about the white belt phase is learning. Is it number one, accepting that you're going to be put in bad positions, you're going to get smothered, you're going to get, you know, cross faced, you're going to get tapped, um, and and it can be hard to get to make that normal. You know, it can be hard to be 
for a lot of people that that's that's a difficult thing to normalize so i think the sooner that you can accept that you're going to end up in bad places and to just relax and take a deep breath and just learn to be comfortable in those kinds of spots uh is really really valuable and that's something that um that i was able to learn early on uh through exposure to different people and instructors is man if someone has you in a bad position all the flailing and desperation in the world isn't really going to do much if your technique isn't right and not only if your technique is right but proper technique doesn't work in in improper situations you know like you can do the perfect hip escape and, and everything else but if the guy has your hips in check and he's got you cross-faced and he's got you pinned man you got to be patient that's that's not the time to use the technique it's not the the, te- the technique works, but you have to wait for the right time to use the technique for it to work. Right. And, uh, and that was something I learned. It, it was explained to me early on, and it made more sense as I went. I wish I could say that I was some sort of savant that just picked it up immediately, but that's not the case. I was, I was, uh, it took me a while to, to, to understand how to apply that concept, but that was a really important one. Um, the other one I would say was that uh, the idea of, of, and this goes hand in hand with learning to be relaxed in bad positions, um, is, is that in order for someone to attack you, they have to create some space. So that's why the patience aspect of being stuck on, in, in a bad position is so important because if you're just, if someone's, say, pinning you in side control, it's uncomfortable, you don't want to be there. Um, I get it, but if you can relax and sort of weather the storm and just breathe a little bit, the space that's the space is going to open up for you to do something. You just have to wait your turn, you know. So, if someone's cross facing you and pinning you very tightly, but not doing anything, if their sole intention is just to pin you, well, then yeah, you're 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 not probably not going to be going anywhere. Um, but in order for them to do anything further than that they have to create space. So right. if you can, it's yeah. So like, if you can understand that, man, being stuck in the bad spot, the worst thing about this is just that I can't go anywhere. Uh, in order for them to apply a choke, apply an arm bar, anything like that, they have to create a little bit of space. They have to move. And that's when it's your turn to start creating space and escaping. So those are the ones that always stuck with me. Right on. So being patient, waiting for that right moment. Cause in jujitsu, there's no red pill. There's no instant way out. Exactly. Yeah. Unless you have some kind of like massive strength and size difference over the other person. Like if you have like a, you know, a flyweight, if you're a heavyweight and you have a flyweight that's, you know, trying to hold you in side control and you're able to, you know, we've all seen those guys that are just, that are just beasts that can just sort of sit up out of things or sort of just bridge and throw you off. Unless there's some massive difference in, 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 in physical attributes like that. Um, yeah, it's, you gotta just be patient. You've got to just learn, learn to hang out and wait your turn. Right on. Story of my life, Ryan. There you go. (laughs) Hey, Ryan. So uh, in your last interview or your last episode, you interviewed Nate Black Belt, Nathan Mendelson. And you mentioned that in your first three Blue Belt tournaments, they were just a nightmare. Horrible times, nothing good about it. And you were doubting yourself. What was it that happened after that that helped you turn the corner where you felt like, oh, you know what? Everything, it's going to be all right. And I do belong here. Oh, you know, that's a good question, man. So yeah, my first three tournaments I did was at Blue Belt. I actually didn't, I don't, I don't think I competed as a white belt. I'm pretty sure my first three tournaments were all at Blue. And what I do remember though, is that every, all three of my first tournaments, I lost the first match in each one of them. And, uh, and I it was very disheartening and it was disheartening because I knew I was better than that. I think, I think that at that time in my head, I built up a tournament to be something a lot bigger than it is. You know, I was sort of like... 
I was hyping myself for weeks, like, oh man, this is my first news. I'm going to a tournament. And everybody does this. Like everybody to some degree, whether they admit it or not, makes makes a big deal out of your first tournament because it's something new and it's exciting and it's fun and you want to test your jujitsu and show your show your skills and everything else. Um, so I think I sort of blew it up a little too big in my head at the time. If I could go back, I would have tried to try to, I guess, lessen the significance of it. Just like, look, it's a local tournament. I'm just going to go roll with some other local people who are also casual practitioners. This is not some world championship. You know, I'm just going out there to learn how to compete a little bit. Uh, but in my head, I think I built it up so much that my nerves just got the best of me. I got tired a lot faster than I should have. My, my adrenaline, I had the, the infamous adrenaline dump in all three, all three of those tournaments where, you know, you're, you're 30 seconds in and all of a sudden you're just exhausted. Um, so I knew I was better than that and that's why it was frustrating. But I also, you know, to be fair in retrospect, I, I didn't prepare properly for, for any of those tournaments. I, I went in without like any semblance of a game plan. Um, I, I wasn't in the right weight categories. I was going, I didn't really like, you know, I wasn't mindful of trying to cut down a little bit of weight to be with guys that are more reasonably my size. Uh, and, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that I was in a school. The school I started with was not a competition school. So, so these kinds of things just weren't taught to me early on. It was just, you know, it's part of what made me change schools later. Cause as I, as I went on later, I wanted to explore a more competitive style of jujitsu, but um, you know, but at the time I, I just, you know, I kind of went in there rolling the dice almost with, with the way I prepared. Um, and, and so I was down about it for a a while and I think what turned things around for me was that there was a guy I knew uh, locally in Atlanta who who I who was someone that I perceived to be a very very good competitor um, and and he was he was a very good competitor and I remember seeing him at the first tournament that I lost my first match I saw him win gold at the second tournament where I lost my first match I saw him I think he took silver and then the tournament where I also lost the third one, where I where I also lost my first match, he lost his first match too. And so I was it, that kind of made me realize, like, man, you know, this guy who's really really good, and he's I think he was uh, either a brown belt or a new black belt at the time. Uh, I remember thinking, like, man, well, he loses too, and man, if if he loses uh, his a first match here and there, then maybe maybe it's not that big of a deal. So I, I started talking to him. And I was like, ah, that sucks about your match, man. I said, I just lost my, my first match too, man. He was like, oh yeah, dude. He says, yeah, this happens all the time. And I was like, I was like, what do you mean? Like, like I've only seen you win gold. He goes, oh shit, really? He's like, oh, I guess you've only been to like a few of my competitions. Then he's just like, he says, I have like a 50, 50 ratio right now. Like, like half the time I lose half the time I, I do. Okay. I, he says, I don't even make the podium, but you know, 15% of the time. And that's when I realized, okay, wait a minute. Okay. So maybe jujitsu is the kind of sport where, where you don't win all the time. And as I went on, you know, and as I grew in the sport and evolved as a, as a practitioner, I realized, yeah, jujitsu is totally not the kind of thing. Unless your name's Gordon Ryan, you yeah, don't you, you don't sure. you, you don't win all the time. It's just <laughs> it's just it's just not that way. And even Gordon coming up, I mean, he'll he'll be the first to tell you that like he didn't win all his first tournaments. You know, he had to learn how to be the athlete that he is today, just like anyone does. So, um, so I, it made that was a big eye opener for me. I was real down on myself for a long time for for you know about a whole year. I think it was like two thousand. Eight, I think that was 2008 or 2009. I remember just being real down, like, man, maybe I'm just not as good at this as I thought. Maybe I should try to figure out something else to, to pursue. And I'm glad I didn't quit because it ended up being something that, you know, jujitsu has obviously tra- changed my life um, almost indescribably. So uh, I'm glad I made it through that. But part of it was just understanding that no one wins all the time. And most people, it's a 50 50 ratio for most people, you know. Right on. Well, well, 
I'm speaking up for myself, but I'm for sure speaking for the rest of the BJJ community when I say super glad you stuck with it, brother. Super glad. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, man. Hey, uh, I got a question here. Actually, three that I didn't put in. I know I love on your show where you play the pummel with your yeah. guests. So yes. I created three quick questions here for you. I'm cool. hoping you're wanting to play. First sure. one, you're in charge of the BJJ Mount Rushmore. You get to add four. Oh, man. Who are you putting on? Oh man. Okay. So, uh, you, you have to put Gordon Ryan up there. Obviously he's, Word, he's, yep. he's the, he is the absolute goat in my opinion. Um, then you've got obviously Hodger Gracie, another, another yes. goat. Um, it, I, I feel like there's multiple goats in jujitsu. I know that sounds right. like, like, a, like, I know I'm sounds like I'm being a little political there, but I, I, uh, I, I do believe there are several guys that could be labeled the best of all time for what they've accomplished, but definitely Gordon, definitely Hodger, uh, Marcelo Garcia for sure. Um, and then I'm going to say, I'm going to say Damian Maya, uh, because I feel like he was the best one in the world of MMA as far as representing jujitsu. Yes. Um, and I'm, uh, I'm lucky enough to get to train at his school now. So it, it, he's someone that I've, uh, grown to know over the years. And, uh, now that I'm living in Brazil, he, uh, I'm lucky enough to live about a five minute walk from his academy. So, oh, that's uh, heavy. so yeah, it's pretty cool. So, that's so, uh, yeah, so I'm going to put those four as my, as my, right on. Yeah. I, I, I stamp it. <laughs> I'll pay my it, taxes for that for sure. <laughs> All right, Ryan. Next question. Pick your nightmare here. Being stuck on the bottom with Gordon Ryan in full mount or you need two points to win with 30 seconds left and you're going against Jordan Burroughs. Oh man. <laughs> I'm well, says so, okay, let me let me explain my answer deeply here because I'm going to say two, uh, two points left with Jordan Burroughs uh, because I know that's something that 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 yeah, that would be that would be pretty intense. Being stuck under Gordon Ryan would also be intense too, but I feel like that would be an insane learning opportunity. So so while it would be scary to get smothered by Gordon Ryan, I also feel like man, this this would be a pretty cool thing to experience just to see the highest level in practice in person, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so that would be, there, there would be, a, there'd be a level of appreciation that I would have from that. Whereas with the thing with Jordan Burroughs, having to score some points on J Jordan Burroughs, I think would just be nothing but anxiety inducing because, uh, yeah, I don't think there's much I would learn from yeah, that. Cause yeah. I, I would just get, I would just get, yeah, yeah I would just fail completely. <laughs> not that, not that I do anything good with Gordon. It's just that at least with Gordon, I feel like I'd learn, you know, what he's doing and try to apply it into my own jujitsu. So I think that'll be my answer for that one. All right. All right. All right. Last question here. And this one's one that I think you use with Nathan. Uh, you can have one superpower. What are you going with? Oh, man. Um, Man, I think I'm gonna go with teleportation. Uh, I I want to be I want to teleport, and I'd also want to be able to bring things with me. So I so like some teleportation, you can't actually you can't actually you know, it's just you, it's just your physical body. I'd want to be able to say like teleport, like if I forgot something in the U.S., I'd want to be able to teleport to my to to my my place in the U.S., grab my stuff, and then teleport back to wherever I'm living abroad. So. Uh, that, that would be a, that would be a useful, a useful, uh, power, I think. Definitely. Definitely. And that's a great detail that you just added there. I like it. <laughs> Thanks, I man. like it. Uh, do you think you got time for a few more questions, Ryan? Yeah. Yeah. I got time. All right. Cool. Cool. Uh, what do you feel are the three pillars of a solid jujitsu game? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, let's see the three pillars of a solid jujitsu game. I would say, um, the ability, well, first, the ability to escape pins and submissions. Like if you, if you're, if you're, if you don't have good defense, uh, I don't feel you can truly have a, 
a, a great offense either. Um, so I, th- I think that, you know, having, having a great defense, and what I mean by that is specifically being able to escape bad positions and escape submissions. Uh, that would be the first pillar. Um, having a go-to option in every position, I think that, I think that you know, a goal, a goal for every jiu-jitsu practitioner who wants to be, you know, at a high level, in my opinion, is that you should never be in a, there should never be a position that's foreign to you. Uh, you should at least have a go-to option for each place that you end up, you know? Um, and then I guess the third one would be like the ability to transition between positions because, you know, there's a lot of times we all have our specialty positions and our places that we like to end up and our places that we like to take the fight to. Um, but that doesn't mean we get to keep it. You know, we don't, we don't always get to, to, to stay where we'd prefer to be in jujitsu. So having the ability to fluidly flow between, uh, different positions that, 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 that happen within scrambles and within transitions and sweeps and things like that. Um, I think is a really valuable skill to have is, you know, if you can comfortably transition to the next place when one position isn't working or when you're losing a, a position, uh, those, those, that'd be a really important pillar to have. So I think those would be the three I'd go with. Right on. Those also happen to be like the three traits that we see in those high level top three guys in the world, you know? Yes. Definitely. Mika, that's Gordon, that's yep. Tynan. That's exactly yep. it, man. That's yeah. Absolutely. Agreed, agree with you, man. All right. Uh next question. How did you get involved with BJJ Fanatics? And how did the podcast come about? Oh yeah. So uh okay, well so so the podcast the, so my initial my my first show was called the Grappling Central Podcast. And I, I I launched that in 2015. Uh and that that was kind of a crazy story how that happened. Uh to keep it to to in a nutshell, basically, I, I, I got laid off from a job um, and I kind of didn't know what to do with myself. And I was already sort of playing with the idea of launching a jujitsu podcast. And um, the the company that laid me off gave me a severance package that would last me a few months to kind of, you know, support myself. And so I had a conversation with my wife and just explained to her, like, look, you know, I, I want to try to figure out something that I can do that's kind of a passion project. I don't know if this will ever become any kind of career or anything like that, but I just, I want to pursue some kind of passion project. It's kind of like, it's kind of like when someone goes to college, you hear a lot of like, college students when they graduate from school they'll go like backpacking across europe or something like that they'll just take sort of like a year of doing nothing kind of um i wanted that but on a very condensed short <laughs> like shorter schedule you know I, I told her i said let me just take like a month off and just sort of pursue something i'm passionate about now i've been kind of playing with this idea about doing a podcast and like interviewing people let me let me let me see what i can do with this and so thankfully she was cool with it and she was like yeah you know just you know as long as you go back and find a job after, after, after your severance package runs out. Um, it's fine with me. So, so I started that and, uh, and it started really kind of taking steam, uh, pretty early on. Uh, I had, I had, uh, my first interview was actually with Dan Severn. I ended up on a, wow. yeah, yeah. Like randomly ended up on a road trip with him. Uh, he needed a ride after a seminar back to his car in, in another state and uh, so I was like, man, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a ride if you don't mind me like having a recorder going. I'd like to just, you know, I'd, I'm trying to put a podcast together. I'd like to maybe interview you. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. So, oh, that's awesome. That yeah. Is so cool, yeah. Man. So if you, ever, if you ever hear my first interview, there's like a lot of like traffic noises in the background and stuff like that. You hear like cars honking and stuff, but it's, uh, <laughs> but that was the first thing, the first one. And then, um, and then, yeah, like, you know, my years of training jujitsu and traveling around to different places and meeting people kind of helped me uh, make connections to get 
guests on the show. Like, you know, I think my, my, my second guest was Helsin Gracie. And then I had, uh, Kurt Osiander who ended up being one of my, becoming one of my best friends. And, um, yeah, I've had like Hoist Gracie. So it's like all these, all these, uh, I started having all these great interviews, um, pretty early on. And then the show really kind of took off and it made me realize like, man, I think, I don't know how to make money with this exactly, but I, I, this seems like it could be something pretty cool. And so I, I did have to end up going back to work. Uh, I ended up being like an electrical assistant with a friend of mine for a while while I, while I was still continuing to build the show. And eventually I started getting sponsorships and, uh, and, and I wasn't making a ton of money or anything, but I was able to sort of pay the bills with it. And, um, and that's why I had another conversation with my wife. Like, look, I think I just want to pursue this full time. And so she was like, yeah, let's, let's see what happens. So, so we went with it and it wasn't, uh, I didn't make any money for, uh, the first several years doing it. And then when the money did start trickling in, it was very small, uh, but then it got to a point where I could sort of sustain myself. And um, one of my one of my early so that kind of brings me to fanatics. One one of my early guests uh, in 2015 when I first started the show was Bernardo Faria. Oh. And uh, yeah, yeah, and we had a great conversation. We really hit it off. And uh, and then uh, we stayed in touch, kind of, uh, kind of just through social media. Um, and he have, he have, a couple of years after that, I think, launched his company. Uh, at the time, it was called BJJ Super Deals, and then that eventually became BJJ Fanatics. Uh, and then in 2018, Bernardo reached back out to me and he said, man, like, like, you know, we really fanatics would like BJJ fanatics would like to sponsor your, your podcast. And so they came on as one of my sponsors, uh, which I was obviously extremely happy about. And, um, and they, they were a sponsor for a couple of years. And then last year, Bernardo and Michael Zanga, uh, reached out to me and offered to have grappling central become the BJJ fanatics podcast. So we basically just changed the name of the show to the BJJ fanatics podcast and, Man, it's been the best chapter of my career, uh, and I, I couldn't be happier with the arrangement. They're they're incredible people, and I I love what BJJ Fanatics does for the Jiu Jitsu community. And uh, so yeah, so to be part of the team is is pretty pretty awesome. I'm I'm very very happy with it. But that's kind of how it all went down. Wow, that's so cool, man! It's almost like you got to join the Avengers of Jiu Jitsu. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That's cool. Exactly. Which Avenger would you be? Uh man, that's a good question. I guess I would be. Man, I don't know. Maybe Hawkeye, just because I like bow and arrow. I like bow and arrows. I think I think archery is cool, but Captain America is the classic too. You kind of can't not say Captain America. Definitely, um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either Hawkeye or Captain America. I think can't go wrong. All right, Ryan. Uh, last question for you. I don't want to take too much more of your time, but no, sure. You've had so many amazing BJJ practitioners on who've shared amazing, amazing stories, epic key details to their game. How do you keep track of all this information? What what would you recommend would for for the listeners out there to go back and review instructionals or videos that they've seen on YouTube or or just a seminar that they've attended? Oh, that man, that's a great question. So, so this is actually something that's been very, um, it's one of my, it's one of the most significant things that the podcast has done for me personally as a jujitsu practitioner. Um, so I was having an interview. It was actually, I think it was the, the second time that I interviewed Rafael Lovato Jr. And he, we were talking about, um, taking notes and sort of, you know, uh, tracking your progress and things like that. And there's something he said that really resonated with me at the time. Uh, he said, uh, he says, you know, I'm an avid note taker he says i take notes i write down everything i learn i i have like a journal i keep he says and you know i i don't understand how 
someone could go through the motions, it could, could, could pursue something as complicated and as intricate as jujitsu and not take notes. He says, you know, he says, there's no way you're remembering everything you're, you're being taught. And he says, at the end of the day, if you're just showing up, uh, to class training, not taking notes and doing that every day, you're really just kind of going through the motions. And that really sunk in with me because I realized at that point, at, at, the, at that time I was a purple belt. Um, I, I, I didn't realize that, man, I really am just kind of going through the motions. I'm showing up and I'm training hard and stuff, but I'm not really taking anything home with me to study or dissect. I'm not, I'm not collecting any data. And so that changed everything with my jujitsu. I started taking a journal. I have a journal that I keep after every training session. I write what happened and, and how it went and things I'm working on and what the focus of the day is going to be. Uh, and then, and then I'll use the results of class to determine what the focus of tomorrow is going to be. And, um, so I have, I have a pretty intricate detailed, um, uh, training journal and, and spreadsheet that I use to sort of track my progress and what I'm trying to work on and what I'm trying to improve. And that was all thanks to my conversation with Rafael Lovato Jr. Um, so in answer to your question, as far as like keeping track of things and remembering lessons and, and important details, uh, man, I, I, something that I wish so badly that someone told me from the day I started jujitsu is dude, go to the store right now, grab a $2 notepad and a pen and write down everything, everything you ever learned. Just write down the details in every single class. Try to write down some detail. You don't have to lay out the entire class word for word, obviously, but write down what you're learning and write down the details. And, uh, cause once I started doing that really kind of later in the game as a purple belt, uh, that's when things for me technically really took off. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So that's great advice, Ryan. Thanks man. Well, Ryan, that was my last question. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, but most importantly, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for everything you've done for the jiu-jitsu community. I cannot tell you how many times I listen to your show. I've been bummed out because I couldn't train or for whatever reason, you know, I get in my own head sometimes and I just don't show up. But I listen to your show and I hear someone who's dealt with the same problem that I've had. And I'm like, if that guy can get through it, I'm going to try what he tried. And it works, you know. Or, or I'm stuck in my part of my game and something you've mentioned or someone, you, something one of your guests mentioned gets me through it. So, again, thank you so much for everything you do. Uh, is there anyone you'd like to mention or thank? Uh, and also, where can people find you on social media? Oh, sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, man, first, Frank, of all, Frank, first of all, I, I really do appreciate the kind words, man. That really does mean a lot. And uh, yeah, man, hearing stuff like that really keeps me motivated to to, to, to do what I do. I, that's it, the, the greatest pleasure I get from running the podcast is just that it helps people, you know, it helps people along the way. So the fact that you've had that experience really means a lot to me. I appreciate you saying that. Um, as far as people, yeah, anyone I want to shout out, obviously, BJJ Fanatics. Uh, guys, one, one thing that you guys can do if you're listening and new to jujitsu and wanting to accelerate your learning, uh, we're in a place in human history that we've really never been before where education is accessible with a click of a button. Uh, and not only that, but if you hype, if you kind of zoom in real tight to our little, our little world of jujitsu, uh, man, the fact that you can sit there and watch eight hours worth of instructionals from the best in the game, like Gordon Ryan and some of the greatest minds like John Danaher and, and, and all the other incredible instructors, instructors that are out there. Um, 
on BGJ Fanatics. Uh, this, this is a time in history where, man, any student in the game before now couldn't have done that. They, they would have had to travel across the country sometimes to find seminars and things like that just to get an hour of time. Uh, so I really do encourage everyone out there to, to go to BJJFanatics.com and start using instructionals because the knowledge really is uh, just sitting there, man. It's waiting on you. So, um, Shout out, obviously, to Fanatics for, for, for everything they've done for me. And yeah, as far as people that, uh, as far as if people want to follow me, I'm on, I'm most active on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Gringo Ryan. Uh, so you guys can find me there on Instagram. And then also make sure you guys are following BJJ Fanatics. It's at BJJ Fanatics, uh, for all updates and, and things that are going on with us at Fanatics. Awesome. Ryan, my man, thank you again. Happy holidays to you and your family. Take care. And awesome. thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it, Frank. Happy holidays, buddy. For sure. Take care. Have a great right. rest of your day, bro. You too, man. See ya. Bye. This is the motivation. Bye.